VoiceOver Coffee Shop, episode number 33. Welcome to the VoiceOver Coffee Shop, where we share our morning with some of the finest names in VoiceOver. And now, here's your host, voice actor Andrew Morrison. Hi there. My name is Andrew Morrison, and welcome to the VoiceOver Coffee Shop, where we start our day with some of the finest names in VoiceOver. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to visit my personal website at www.andrewdmorrison.com. In this episode, we have coffee with my dear friend, Melly Grant. Melly is a script adapter and an amazing voiceover talent who has worked with projects from Dragon Ball Super, Fairy Tale, Smite, The Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime, and a ton more. In this episode, we're going to talk about finding your voice as a trans actor, breaking down a script, and anime character development. Hey, Hi, what's happening? Hey, Millie, how are you? <laughs> it's really great to see you. I have a giant coffee, so as we go, I'll just be more and more caffeinated. By the Sounds way, first awesome. VO tip, don't do this. <laughs> no, no, that's why I've got jugs of water in here, too. <laughs> Both milk and coffee. So how do you Terrible for your instrument, but it's Saturday, so I'm right. drinking a lot of coffee today. So how do you take your coffee generally? Um, if I make it, I, I tend to do light and sweet. If I make uh, coffee, I'm usually buying a an affordable box of 96K cups and I'll put in a little bit of, I do half and half. I do a little bit of half and half and too much sugar. Don't <laughs> tell Jen Hale. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I found a place around the corner that makes just this amazing mocha. And it's like everything you don't want to put in your body. It's, uh, they make it using, so normally when you would make uh, some kind of a latte, right? You're taking milk and you're putting in shots of espresso mm -hmm. and you're shaking it all together. Mm -hmm. The way they do, and I, I assume that a mocha would be, you know, probably a couple of shots of some kind of like either mocha powder or some kind of mocha thing. They use chocolate milk and oh. it's chocolate milk with multiple shots of espresso mixed together. And it's so dangerous that sounds awesome I heard. so how did you um because i know you used to work for apple what is sort of your origin story into the whole and... vo world so uh my i'm gonna go i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the deep cut all right I'll try not to take too long because i i think i've gotten very good at truncating this okay. into like my introduction on panels and i'll manage to fly through all of the key points and then say i'm happy to be here um, but, uh, but I grew up in a, a very arts focused household and my mom is a certified social worker and psychotherapist, okay. um, who specializes in, uh, EMDR. Um, my dad, however, worked in professional theater his entire life, uh, not as an actor, but as a technician, he, oh. uh, got his start, you know, in college, college productions. Um, but he ended up, uh, coming in to the, um, New York Shakespeare Festival, the public theater in New York City. He came in as a, as a carpenter and he became a master carpenter and then he became the technical director. And he was the technical director at the New York Shakespeare Festival for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, worked under names that, that will get a lot of Google hits like Joseph Papp and George C. Wolf um, was a part of some amazing production. So as a child, I was in and out of theaters all the time, although I was usually, you know, playing up on the grid and in, in, in the wings and they'd catch me with a window open on the third, win you know, the third story of a New York city building, like throwing things out of it. And then someone would have to grab me and be like, Oh my goodness, we are going to get arrested. 
And, you know, so just kind of messing around, but I was always on theaters. Uh, I was always hanging out with technicians and with other actors. And I have all these stories that my parents have told me that, you know, you're too young to remember, but my life was full of stories of, oh yeah, that time that, uh, you know, Kevin Klein, something, 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 Steve Buscemi, something, something, something. And I'm like, I was three. I don't remember any of this, but that's really cool. <laughs> I'm glad that some, you know, iteration of myself had that experience. Um, somehow that led me to, to kind of get bit myself by the acting bug. Um, and I, I was not particularly successful. I know we shouldn't judge success as children, but mm -hmm. uh, I think I was interested in acting, but I didn't fully understand theater. And so it was enough of an interest to at least sign up for plays and be part of class plays where, you know, I'd be helper number three or the tree and, uh, and, and nothing about it particularly inspired me, but I still wanted to be a part of it because it was such a big part of my life. And I thought maybe there was some place in there for me too. Um, my parents clearly noticed that I was really interested in, in some aspects of theater or dance or singing. I was jumping back and forth between things. So they sent me to uh, a summer camp out on Eastern Long Island called USDAN, the USDAN Center for the Creative and Performing Arts, uh, which gave me a much more focused way to explore um, chorus. And I learned the, the fundamentals of guitar and I was in musical theater and I got to really start to explore for the first time in a way that isn't like, you know, your third period rehearsal for the school play. <laughs> Um, and oh my goodness, I fell in love. I was at that camp for about nine years. I, I was in and out of musical theater and drama and, um, and that led to, uh, being in every school play when I was in high school. And that led to applying early decision to NYU Tisch. Did not open any other brochures, by the way. So if they had turned me down, I would have been in serious trouble. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, they, accepted my application. So I went to Tisch, did four years there uh, at the Playwrights Horizons Theater School. Um, and then somewhere along the way, I discovered voiceover. Um, and I think it happened around 2004. That's all you'll get as far as how old I am. <laughs> around 2004, somewhere mid-college or early college, I think it might've been early mid-college, something like that, early college. Um, I was at Oticon in 2004 uh, out in Baltimore. And I remember seeing that there would be a panel with Tony Oliver on it. And I did not know Tony Oliver by name, but it said that he had done a lot of Power Rangers stuff. And I grew up with Power Rangers and it was my favorite show as a kid. Uh, I have vivid memories of, of loving Power Rangers one year longer than everybody else. And then getting made fun of horrendously for like four years because of a Halloween costume. Um, and so I figured that would be cool. And, and I would show up and I was cosplaying at the time. I don't do a lot of cosplay, but I was dressed up as a character from one of my favorite, uh, animes at the time, which was the X TV series. X 1999 was the movie. I think it was just X TV was the, was the 24 episode series. Okay. And I was dressed up as this character named Sorata Ariskawa, <laughs> which basically consisted of a yellow rain jacket, a black shirt with a big red letter A and an arrow pointing up to the face. Because that's his way of saying, I'm Ari Skawa, that's me. I'm going to point it to my face and put it on a t-shirt. And he had an A on his hat. His hat was turned backwards. Um, and I was so embarrassed to find out that that was the character that Tony voiced in that show. And I was on a panel dressed up as a character of his, which to him probably seemed intentional. Mm -hmm. But to me, I had no idea. 
Um, <laughs> but that was the year that he introduced. If uh, if any of your your viewers are familiar with it, that was the year I think that he first introduced Adventures in Voice Acting with Bang Zoom. Oh. And so they started to do their very first workshops in California, and they planned a couple of very limited appearances in New York City. Um, and I decided to give it a shot. I showed up as you know a freshman or a sophomore at a prestigious theater school thinking like, you know, how hard can this voice acting thing be? I'm going to kick all these people's butts. And I, I had a chip on my shoulder about it. And that workshop kicked my, kicked my butt. I was just <coughs> so in over my head at that workshop. Bless you. Did not know what I was doing. Was way too loud or way too soft. Was completely lost the whole time. But something about it stuck with me. And I decided to keep pursuing it and keep studying it. Uh, and, and sure enough, I... And I'm sure we'll get into this, but sure enough, there, there, there. I realized there were so many aspects of voiceover and specifically animation voiceover that spoke to me in a way more so than even the work I'd been doing in theater and on camera. And you'd think I would have jumped right into that after graduating, um, but when I graduated, it was 2008, and the recession hit, mm -hmm. uh, and no one could keep their jobs. And if you had a job, you should keep it. And I had this part-time job at Apple to get all the way back to your question. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I figured, man, I better keep this because I don't know how I'm gonna pay rent. I only just got an apartment. You know, people are having trouble getting work. So rather than immediately start to push into the arts, I immediately started to push for full time at the job. And that led to, well, how can I make a little bit more money? What do I wanna do with this company? Maybe instead of selling computers, I wanna fix computers. And, uh, and so I started to work my way up that ladder. And before you know it, I had been there for 10 years. And somewhere along the way, I remember, I don't remember the moments, but I know somewhere along the way I decided, I guess the acting thing isn't happening. Um, you know, the full-time job was, was overwhelming at times. I was too distracted with that to put my effort into the other thing you'd get home from work and just be exhausted and so the idea of trying to think about you know trying to to take classes or trying to to submit for auditions or look for representation all of those things just felt too exhausting to me and 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 part of that I think is because that wasn't the place I needed to be mm. and so it was probably draining me in a way that that it might not drain someone who who that it's actually their calling you know, it's, it's like you're, uh, she's like a tabletop, like Dungeons and Dragons reference. It's like you're, you're, you're using a weapon you don't have a specialization in, in or something, you know, like my, my calling is for storytelling. It's not for, uh, for selling or fixing computers. So when I'm there, I'm like working with a minus four penalty <laughs> versus the stuff that, uh, that I'm actually meant to be doing. Um, I, uh, I was at that job. I still have nothing but love for that company, but I was at that job uh, for 10 years. I was there probably five years longer than I was happy. Um, and right around the ninth year, uh, two of my friends from New York, uh, Brittany Lauda and Matt Shipman, uh, who some of your viewers may know by name, um, mm -hmm. but they are also very storied voice actors at this point in this industry. Um, they were thinking about moving to Dallas and trying to you know, find their way into the Funimation circuit and, and the anime world down in the, in the Dallas market. And uh, they knew that I was interested in it. So they started pressuring me and they pressured me for the better part of a year. And I was resistant because change is scary. Mm -hmm. um, 10 years to the day, you can't see it, but right over here on the side, actually you can kind of see it. I have 
this big crystal thing that commemorate next to my dragon dagger that commemorates uh, the fact that I was there for a decade and I quit 10 years to the day. Wow. Uh, <laughs> here's here's a trophy, then, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, literally. They, I mean, I, they handed that thing to me probably like a week before I walked out the door. And, uh, and I moved down here to, to try and make it happen. Um, so I, I like to say that my, my heart caught up with me eventually, but it's, you know, my life is always going to be uh, a series of questions of what ifs. By the way, I, uh, I'm, your viewers may or may not know, I don't know how you're going to introduce me, but, um, but I am trans and mm -hmm. I transitioned somewhere along the way as well. Um, so between that and and the 10 year gap where I was working in retail, I, my life is always gonna be a whole bunch of questions of like, what would have happened? Like, what would happen if I had just moved straight down here after college and my contemporaries were, you know, Jamie Markey and J. Michael Tatum instead of Brittany Lada and Matt Shipman? You know, like what would have happened if I uh, had transitioned, had not transitioned, if, when, if I'd gotten my career started and then transitioned? Like life is always full of, of weird forks in the road that that kind of leave you wondering what would have happened the other way the advantage of moving after a 10-year career is i had a lot of savings mm -hmm. and so i was able to completely focus on on getting into this industry for a while without having to worry about working a 40-hour week which i wouldn't have been able to do otherwise the downside is you know who knows what would have happened if i had moved uh 10 years earlier but i'm here now and i'm super happy to be here I wish I could say that it, it has been the, the easiest journey, but every minute of it has been rewarding. Um, and I'm hopefully, uh, you know, it'll continue to go places from here. That's like the longest question in the world. I'm <laughs> so that's the that, that made some kind of sense. I am a yeah. long-winded person and I will try to make all of the future answers about half that lane. <laughs> no worries. So that's the what if, um, but you're planning on going to LA. So like, what's your what now? Who told you that? You did. You, <laughs> I did. You were you were talking about it on um on Queerbox. I uh, so I, it's interesting. You know, you 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 move ideally when um when you feel like you're sort of a big fish in a small pond. And and one of the reasons that I chose for me it was a toss up between L.A. and Dallas, um, because there are a lot of considerations. There's more types of work happening in L.A. You've got a lot more in the way of video games, uh, and you also have a lot of film and television. If that's something you could see yourself getting into, that's something I'd certainly like to explore at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a whole lot more competition, and the caliber of the competition is is far higher. Um, which is not to say that there aren't a, a ton of incredibly talented actors in Dallas, but just it's just a numbers game. You know that because that's where most of the work is happening. That's where the world-class talent are all ultimately congregating. Um, so it's a steeper hill, but there's also a lot more places to stop along the way. Um, and as far as Dallas was concerned, um, it's a much lower cost of living, wildly lower cost of living. To give you an idea, <clears throat> when I left New York, I was uh, working 40 hours a week, right? And I was in a one bedroom apartment that just had a little bedroom, a little living room and a little kitchen and a door. And that's how I leave. Um, and that was about $1,200 a month the last year I was there. And I'm paying only a little over half that as my share, not for the whole place, but as my share of an entire house I'm renting with my housemates right now. Um, and when we moved in, actually, when we... Mm -hmm. No, well, yeah, no, when we moved in, 
this place, it's gone up since then, but when we moved in, this place was about 1595, so 1600. But the idea that, you know, $400 more a month and you go from a bedroom and a kitchen to an entire house, the cost of living in Dallas is insane. <laughs> um, so that was a consideration. And the other consideration at the time before remote was, was more common, uh, which is a really positive way of looking at the last year. Right. More common. Um, is it was a much smaller pool, which means there might be an opportunity to get your teeth, you know, your, your feet wet, your teeth wet, get your feet wet a little bit sooner. <laughs> um, Funimation had a bit of the habit of working with newer talent earlier. Mm -hmm. So there might be ways to get in when you're still sort of figuring things out. Um, so you don't immediately have to be on, you know, the level of your you know, Steve Bloom's, Steve Bradley right. Baker's in order to get in the door. There are opportunities to kind of start to find your way in. And uh, as actors moved to LA, which tended to be an inevitability, that would open up windows for you to maybe find archetypes that you can play or find bigger opportunities as those gaps get created mm -hmm. in the talent pool down here. So it just seemed like an interesting place to start to, to sort of figure things out. And my goal was eventually to get to a place where I felt like I had enough credits, um, a little bit of notoriety and, 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 and that I had enough experience and know-how and I felt like I had enough to give that I could then move to LA with some credits under my belt as some semblance of a known quantity and, and, and try to work from there rather than starting from zero. I have a lot of friends that have done the exact opposite that have, that have moved to LA with absolutely nothing going on and they figured it out from there and they're doing fine. Um, so I think it was honestly an either or. And, 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 and one of the biggest things that sort of sealed the deal for me on Dallas <clears throat> was that um, because I was coming out of this 10 year career and I had a lot of savings, I knew I could stretch them a whole lot further in Dallas than I could in LA, which meant that it, it gave me more of a, um, a longer runway in terms of kind of getting my feet planted and figuring things out before I had to immediately think about jumping back into a side job. So does most of your work now come from animation video <laughs> games or um, is it in the e-learning space at all, commercial space at all? I, you know, I have been, I have been told time and time again that I need to be doing commercials. So I have, I am auditioning for commercials. I've not yet booked commercials. I'm very eager to book commercials, but I would say most of my voiceover is in anime and uh, a little bit in video games. So if you if you look at my credits, you've got a Borderlands credit in there. I've been in Smite. Um, I have a couple of other things on the horizon that are coming out. And most recently, uh, we just launched Tome, the terrain the terrain of magical expertise, yeah. uh, which is a brand new uh, RPG that is available on uh, on PC. And I play. Gamesoft, who is one of the primary characters in that story, and is actually one of my first leads in anything um, outside of like high school plays. Um, but, uh, but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's, it's been anime and, and it's strange because I, as I've gotten more and more into the world of at least auditioning for commercials, um, they tend to be, I feel more confident sometimes reading commercial scripts than I do reading animation and video game scripts because I think it's because oftentimes they're sort of hitting the same archetype. Mm -hmm. So you kind of know either you're like the next door neighbor who's really, you know, casual, natural voice delivery. And it's just you as you saying like, hey, tired of this, buy this, you know, or it'll be something a little bit more intimate. And, and but the read is similar enough that I, it, 
what used to be the scariest thing. I could tell stories for days, but the scariest thing was like, how do I tell a story? If it's like a story about selling a pizza, ah, but it, it becomes, I, I, I hesitate to say, because I, I, I still want to give it the respect it deserves, but enough of it becomes predictable mm -hmm. or a little formulaic that I feel like um, my comfort level has grown a lot faster in that world than in, you know, the world where every single time you pick up a script, you're playing a completely different character and you have to start the process over and do all the investigation and ask all of those questions. So, so it, it's interesting how it seesawed from being something I was really uncomfortable with to something that like I can walk in the booth and do in five minutes at the drop of a hat versus the hours sometimes I'll spend pouring over a script and trying to decide what my intentions are before going in to read for something, okay. which is a me thing. I know not everybody does that. Well, what, what is your character development process? I come from, so, so I, I, I know that there are a, a number of ways to approach this work that we do and, and it's a constant conversation. Mm -hmm. um, there are voice actors who uh, like my housemate, Mark Allen Jr., who come from a background of improv and they want to go in the booth and they want to be surprised and experience everything for the first time. I very much tend to take a theatrical approach where if I can get my hands on the script, I want to be able to look over the script. I want to know what I'm getting myself into. I want to make some preliminary decisions about where I've been, where I'm going, what do I want, who am I talking to, what do they want from me, so that when I get in there, I already have something that I can lay down and say, I think that this is the approach I want to take. So I'm not just shooting from the hip. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that that does not work for some people. Um, I know that I, it's kind of funny. We, we get a lot of crosstalk in the, the voiceover world where we're sort of all giving each other advice. And so I have right. many times been given the advice to avoid doing that because your read will get stale or you'll get into the booth and you won't be able to take direction anymore because you'll be so locked into this idea of what the performance has to be. If that affected me, it might've been very early on when I was still very nervous every time I walked into the booth. That's not something that, that impacts me. You know, to me, it's our job to be, uh, you know, open to collaboration because mm -hmm we might be working with a scene partner, but at the very least we're working with our director. And so we might come in with an idea of who our character is and what kind of story we're telling. And the director might have a different idea. And I think, sure, if you're the kind of person that, you know, if you've made a decision about something, you are now rigidly locked into that forever, then definitely avoid rehearsing. Right. <laughs> but for me, I see it as part of the job. I see it as simultaneously my job to show up with an idea, something to offer, whenever possible, but to be amenable to, you know, the ideas of others, the things that the, the and, and specifically the ideas of the person who's ultimately the decision maker. So if I come in and I say, hey, I think this character is really insecure because of X, Y, and Z, and I think they want this. And the director says, I completely disagree. I think it's more like this. It's, it's my job to adjust to that and, right. and find that character instead. Um, and I think if you, as you talk to you know, multiple actors, you'll, you'll kind of hear different opinions on that. For me, rehearsal has, has only ever been a boon. I don't think that it's something I need to kill myself over, but especially when we get into simuldub where you're showing up and half the time 
nobody really knows where the story is going because only half of it has aired in Japanese. And so we don't have the, the luxury all the time of, of knowing if you're going to turn out to be a villain in three episodes or if the character is going to turn out to be trans in three episodes or those kinds of things we don't always have access to. So I want to know at the very least what I'm walking into today. So if nothing else, if I can't get a script, which is rare, if I can't get a, no, sorry, it's rare to get a script. If I can't get a script or anything in advance, at the very least, the morning of, I have a ritual of um, watching the episode once or twice before I show up for my session so that I'm, at least I'm very familiar with what I'm about to do when I walk in there. Uh, even if I may not, you know, I may not fully understand where the story is going. I really hope you enjoyed hearing Melly's story and how her road of finding herself led to an amazing career in our industry. In our next episode, we're going to talk more about Bang Zoom, script adaption, and how to be directable. Until then, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The VoiceOver Coffee Shop. For more information on guests, new episodes, and more, be sure to visit www.vocoffeeshop.com.